Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, hosts Andrea Kilstedt and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. The Capital Campaign Toolkit is a support system for nonprofit leaders who are running capital campaigns. At CapitalCampaignToolkit.com, you can download a step-by-step guide for your capital campaign and get many other free resources. This podcast is recorded on a live webinar every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live sessions and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. And please like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Today we're going to be talking about stewardship, right? Uh, It's Thanksgiving season here in the U.S. and um, we've been thinking about what we're thankful for and it's a great time to be stewarding your donors between now and year end. So Andrea, as always, why don't you kick us off by talking about strategies for stewardship at year end? Yes. So I, this is really one of my favorite, one of my favorite topics. You know, I think this time of year, we often think about asking people for money, right? We ask, this is the time we think about making our annual, our annual solicitations. And I don't know, Amy, how many solicitations have you gotten in your mail and email? You know, that's what we get. We get, we get a big stack of people asking us for money, which is appropriate because we t- many, many people, many, many donors, of course, give at year end. They see how their year went financially. They save up their requests. And towards year end, they go through a big stack and they actually make a whole bunch of contributions. So you for sure should be asking people for money. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But it also makes it an amazing time to put that aside at some point or in addition to, to really think in a very intentional way about who the people are you want to take time to thank in this holiday spirit, this time of thankfulness, which here in this country begins with Thanksgiving and I think sort of ends, it goes all the way through the end of the year that that I don't know if it's the change in weather or the fact that people have fires in their fireplaces or that people are doing jigsaw puzzles around tables and have music, but it, it and, and that the music is so familiar, but I think it tends to put us into a into a positive and appreciative mode. And I think that that for every one of your organizations, there probably are 20, 30, 40, 50 people who really are the foundation, provide the financial foundation of your giving. And while you are asking people for money, it's probably a good idea to take some time and think about how you might thank them and help them understand what an important and sort of sort of anchor or foundational role they play in your organization. I think that very often we don't let people know that well enough. So we we encourage you to take some time over these next few weeks and think about how you might thank people. Now, in the capital campaign business, we are driven by, we use as a planning tool, the gift range chart. Right, all of you here know, or I imagine you know, the gift range chart. Some people call it the donor pyramid, right, where you show the relatively few gifts at the top, and the number of gifts go go gets bigger as the size of the gift go down. And we often use that chart as our planning tool about who we're going to solicit, in what way we're going to solicit them, when we're going to solicit them, how much we're going to solicit them for. You can use that very same chart to help you think about how to how to appreciate donors, how to, how to steward them, how to make them know what a difference they make to you and to your organization. 
And if you have no other way that you regularly do that, we encourage you to do that. Pull out your gift range chart. Say, pull out your depth chart showing, okay, who are the people who give the largest gifts, who have given to you for the longest time? And what are the ways in which you want to reach out to them where they will know that you are actually thinking about them, right? You're not just putting their names in a big list. It's fine to to see your name in a list. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not the kind of stewardship we're looking for at this time of year. I'd rather that you thought much more personally and let each of those pillars in your community, and maybe there are 20 or 50 of them, I don't know how many there are, let each of them know what a difference they make and that you're not thinking about them as one of thousands, but you're thinking about them as individuals and you want them to know how important they are. What would you add? Yeah, I think, you know, it's important to thank all your donors at every level. And we're not suggesting that you wouldn't be thanking or stewarding all of your donors. It's a question of how. And, you know, the as as Andrea points out, the campaign, the gift range chart or the gift pyramid, gift table, whatever you're calling it, is a guide for how you're going to ask. Right. The people at the top of the pyramid get asked in personal face-to-face or virtual face-to-face ways. And the people at the very bottom of the pyramid at the end of your campaign get solicited, you know, by social media or by direct mail or whatever bulk solicitation methods. So I think you should think about your thank you strategy in the same way you do about your solicitation strategy. So the people you're asking for major gifts, whatever that means at your organization, $10,000 and above, uh, you'd ask them face-to-face, one-on-one, and that's how you should think about thanking them. And even if you thank them after they gave their gift or they haven't given their gift for this year or next year yet or for your campaign, you still want to reach out in a personal way and and let them know how your fundraising efforts are going, how your campaign is doing, how your programs and services are going, whatever the update, and let them know that they played an important role in that in a personal and authentic way. If you could take the thank you, note, gift, letter, call, whatever, and exchange it for any donor in your database, it's not personal, right? So think about it. If they get it and know, not just that their name is, is different, but you specifically say, you know, you volunteered for this or, you know, how your children or, you know, some mention of something that they did or something that you know about them or something that makes them stand out so that they know that you were actually thinking about them when you crafted this thank you note, thank you gift, outreach, whatever it is, um, the more impactful and memorable and meaningful it will be. So you're not gonna be able to do this for everybody on your list, but Andrea's encouraging you to think about who are the 20, who are the 30, who are the you know top 50 people? You know, Can you leave something on their doorstep? Can you do something very personal and meaningful? So I'd like to ask in the chat box, actually, what are you doing to steward your biggest donors, the people at the very top of your gift pyramid this year? What are you going to be doing in December? What did you do in November that really stands out that you can't do it for everybody on your list, but that you are gonna do for the top 20 to 30 donors? All right, Andrea, you, yeah. Yes, Sarah has asked, Sarah has has put a a question or has asked in the question box. She said, I'd love to know about a personal thank you experience. Either of you have had this stands out in your mind. And I just have to share my most recent personal thank you experience because it really was, it was just stunning to me. Um, I, some of you know that I have been working on this project in Providence, Rhode Island for some, some time now, and they are getting to, towards the end of their campaign. 
campaign and they have just done a wonderful, wonderful job. So, so this, uh, about a month ago, I actually sent them what for me is, is quite a generous gift, particularly for an organization that, that is not in my community. And, and I just felt moved to send them a, to send them a gift. And I got back the most stunning thank you. Thank you letter. It was a, a handwritten note from the executive director who says, um, I'm just going to quote it. It's wonderful. He says, Andrea, on the top, on top of wisdom, friendship, and fun, you are, you are so generous to make a financial gift to our organization towards our ambitious building vision. We so appreciate you and the lessons we've absorbed. And then with that, they had mocked up a toolkit page they had gone on to the Capital Campaign Toolkit. They had taken the formatting of a toolkit page, the same typeface, the same colors, and they had created it that said something that said at the top, Kilstead Wisdom. And they had 10 nuggets of things that they had learned from me over the past two or three years that I've been working with them. And it, it might have been taken from the toolkit, only they made it up. I thought that's such a brilliant thank you because it was so personal and so fun. And they clearly, they sat down and thought, well, what have we learned from this woman? And how can we let her know that we really have learned these things? And I mean, I don't know if it took anybody very long to do that, but but it was so thoughtful and so specific to what I, to my work with them. And I think that captures the essence of what a good thank you should be. It should say, you know, if I were to thank Amy, you know, I would thank Amy by telling her what a remarkable partner she is to me and how, you know, how her ability to operationalize things, to always put a deadline on things and to figure out how they're going to get done is like magical in how I work with her. That noticing what Amy does well, noticing what any of your donors do and how they function will make a person, will make a thank you to those donors work. It's not that it has to be fancy. It's not, not that it has to be extreme. It just has to see them. That's the key to a good thank you. Yes. Let them know that you see them, not just their money. The more specific you can be, the even a small example is so critical. And I, I have two examples, and then we're getting some, some good suggestions. Listen, if you're putting something in the chat and you're not clicking down on that blue box for everyone to see it, then just Andrea and I get to see your good ideas. So I'm going to read a couple of them, but um, first I'll give my examples. So I think that anytime you can connect your thank you to the mission, it's more meaningful. You know, sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't, you know, one of the charities that I work with and that I donate to, and I have for years and years is a soup kitchen. Um, and they work with uh, the homeless on all sorts of programs and projects. And they have a culinary school to teach people to be sous chefs in restaurants. So they're providing employment skills. And one of the one of the units, of course, is baking. They're teaching their clients to bake. And so donors get boxes of fresh cookies with a note from clients saying how this turned their life around and why it's important to them. And, you know, it's just, of course, cookies are nice, but it's the idea that the clients actually bake them and are learning to bake them and are going to be able to get jobs because they have this new skill that this organization is providing. And so to me, you know, that's one super thoughtful thing. I think, you know, how do you know when you've done well? Andrea kept that note. She's got, she got that note about two weeks ago. It's right on her desk, right? She, it will be on her desk for a long time to come. It is not something that goes right into the waste paper basket. I have a note here, a thank you note pinned on my bulletin board and it came in an email and I printed it out and it is tacked to my bulletin board from 2016, right? So five years I've had this note. It is three lines. The subject is you are my North Star. And it says, dear Amy, I've been telling people to do this, that, and the other thing, something that I taught them. 
and telling them why this matters and something that I taught them. It says a tanker takes time to turn and you turned this one. And I pinned it up because it is, you know, so thoughtful, so specific. Um, So anyways, all right. So let's. So I want to call out what Andrea Hansen says, says yeah. here, because I think it just captures the spirit. She she says in the chat, you can all read it. I personally sign all gift acknowledgements over $500 and look at their file at their giving history. Then she appreciates and notes the things that she sees. If they're long, if it's a long giving history, right, or it's a first time renewal or an increase, what it shows is that you actually are paying attention. And that's ever so much more important than anything fancy. It really is. The fact that you actually thought about them and it's reflected in what you do matters. So good for you, Andrea. I totally, totally appreciate that. Um, Let's see. Uh, Some of you have talked about having board members call donors. I think that's a really good idea. And it's an even better idea when you when you equip your board members with some information about what that donor has done, whether it's the sum total of their giving, whether they they did something special that year, whether they increased their gift. Right. Whether if you can if you can get your board members to ask questions, you know, prepare your board members so they don't feel like rote calls, then those then those calls can really can really strike it it home, which is terrific. You know, Katie's saying uh, we are inviting a few special donors to our staff holiday party to celebrate with us. And, you know, so sometimes not everybody's available to come to an event, but I think that. The idea of celebrating together, that donors are really partners with the staff, that one couldn't do it without the other. You know, the donors couldn't make happen what you do as staff and staff couldn't do what, you know, they do without the donations, the financial support. So the idea of celebrating together, I think, is a, a really nice idea. Thank you for sharing that. All right, let's go to some questions. There's also lots of great chat going on in the chat box. So if you don't have that open, go ahead and open that so you can see everybody's good ideas. Um, oh, all right. A couple of things. I want to I want to deal with uh, Lori's question. She says, are there still nonprofits who pay their fundraising staff commissions? And Lori, I hope not. It is considered to be unethical. It shouldn't happen. Um, if it happens uh, and you know of an organization where it's happened, someone should talk to them and say that it is considered to be unethical in the field to do that. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's true that, that fundraisers who work at nonprofits are generally getting rich, or I don't know of very many, if any, who are. Um, but uh, so it's unfortunate that somebody would be, would be sort of downplaying the field like that. I think most of the fundraisers that we know work incredibly hard and certainly don't get paid what they might get paid if they were working in other fields. Yes, I think whoever said that does not know many fundraisers. They would scoff at the idea that they're getting rich uh, working at a nonprofit fundraising for them. So that's that's too bad. It's a disservice to the field. Uh, The you know, the few sort of. uh, Unethical fundraisers that might be out there doing those things. It's a shame. Yeah. Karen, Karen asks this. So so what are the ways to thank those who don't want the expense of sending thank you items or gifts? Um, Is it okay, for example, to send a link to a virtual concert such as Handel's Messiah? Absolutely. If that's appropriate to your mission, that's what you should do. Thank you gifts do not get more powerful because they are expensive. They get more powerful because they reflect something about the person you were thanking. That's what makes them powerful, right? It's it's sort of it's sort of paradoxical that often people think, well, if we send something big and big and expensive and fancy, then people are going to feel great. And that by and large isn't isn't the case. 
So, so by all means, send, send something, send a virtual concert, send an email, a simple email or a telephone call. I give it to several organizations every year. And part of the reason I do is because the executive director picks up the phone and say, hey, Andrea, I just got your check. Thank you so much. Goodbye. That's all. <laughs> just know they noticed. <laughs> Listen, and Karen, if you're sending a virtual concert, a link to a virtual concert, I'm going to guess that you are a choir or performing arts center type of organization. Um, if not, you know, there should be a connection, I think, to what you send. You don't want to if if you're if it's not your group doing the Handel's Messiah concert, you know, does it does it resonate? I'm not sure. So think well, about it might. it might. It might. You know, let, let's say let's say that her organization is not a choir or not a okay. musical organization. She could send something that says, you know, when I was listening to this the other day and I was I was moved by the spirit of the season and I was thinking about you and all of the amazing things you've done for our organization this year. Right. I was particularly moved when I got your last check in the mail or something. You can make almost anything connect. Right. But it has to be it has to be genuine. Yes. All right. Good. I think that's right. All right. Let's see. Uh, Somebody's asking, is it ever too late to thank a donor for a gift? And I think the only time potentially it could be too late is the day you're asking for the next gift if you haven't said thank you yet. So, I mean, if somebody gave you a gift six months ago or nine months ago, I mean, I hope you thank them right at the time of the gift. You can follow up with an additional thank you. I mean, you know, it does seem a little late if you're asking for gifts this week and saying thank you, but you didn't thank. But, you know, thank along with the next ask and try and do better next year if that's the case. Right. Amy, the other that makes me think that the other aspect of thanking people is letting them know what their money accomplished. Yes. And you can always do that. Right. If someone sent, let's say someone sends you a, sends you a gift for some reason or another, the thank you never got sent. All right. That's bad. You know, it's bad. It shouldn't have happened. OK, but 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 that doesn't mean you shouldn't get back. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be in touch with them. What, it, what you might do the next year is to say, oh, my goodness. You know, I was just looking and I realized that. That, you know, the thank you note we meant to send you last year never got sent. But let me take the time now to tell you the amazing things that you helped make happen this year. Right. I truly hope you will consider supporting us. And I promise you, we will never, you know, your thank you never is never going to get lost again. <laughs> I mean, that would be I'd respond to that if somebody sent that to me. It's honest. It's open. It's forthright. It doesn't doesn't pretend. And it focuses on what my money accomplished, whether or not you thank me. Right? People, people give because they want their money to accomplish something. So use that in your stewardship right? so, every time you can. So that's what you should be focused on at this time of year is letting people know how the year went, what impact their gift made what you accomplished as a result of their gift and others. It doesn't have to be only their gift, right? You don't have to say, you know, you gave $10,000 and you were able to feed, you know, the world. That doesn't make any sense. But you can say because, you know, thanks to your gift and others. And it depends on on what they funded or what, you know, what they did. Um, I just wanted to read one uh Somebody wrote, uh, Karen wrote, uh, we created a small cookbook produced in-house with the staff's favorite summer recipes. We sent it out to a random group of 100 donors, well, random or targeted. Uh, it was super popular. You know, how how great is that? I think that's, you know, that's really sweet. It's It's heartfelt. It's not expensive. It's a little time consuming. And you can say, you know, I hope this is something you enjoy. And if it's connected to the mission, even better. But if not, it's it comes from the staff, which is really sweet. 
Yeah, and right. Darren has a really good suggestion here. You know, he, he he says with every thank you, they send an article that shows how contributions, their contributions are making a difference. And that's an easy way to show impact, right? To have something printed that you would include. And then you could say in your note, you know, take a look at the attached to see how, you know, what your what your gift helped us helped us achieve this year. Yeah. Um, Lucy, you're asking. Uh, for recommendations to help the president understand the importance of a thank you gift. And, you know, we don't want to emphasize that it needs to be a thank you gift. It can be a thank you call. It can be a thank you email. It can be a thank you note. It needs to be specific and detailed if possible. And, you know, that's more important than a gift. So don't focus on the gifts. Focus on, you know, what you're going to do for each level of donors, right? You know, how can you, what are you going to do for your top 20 donors? And then what are you going to do for the next hundred donors? And then what are you going to do for everybody else? And the, the bigger, the donors, the more specific and concrete and tangible you can be. You know, my, my, my Providence client, uh, has developed this year, a, a, um, what do they call it? An investment, portfolio report for their top 30 donors or however many, something like that. And they created a format and it says it, it documents at the top, it documents when they make their, made their first gift to the organization and how much money they have given since that first gift. And it says, you know, we so appreciate you know, we appreciated your first gift and we have appreciated all of the umpteen gifts, however many gifts that you, you know, this is documented, you have made, you have made since. And then there's a chart that shows gifts that they made to the annual, annual gifts, capital gifts, event gifts. It just shows people what they've, what they've done. And at the bottom, it is a, is a, a documentation of key, key, elements in the growth of the the timeline of the growth of the organization saying here here and broad broad brush are the things that you have you have helped us helped us accomplish over these years that's powerful right it really is powerful it sort of says here's what you've done many donors don't don't know how long they've given to an organization or how much they've given or how many contributions or what kinds of contributions. And it took some doing for them to come up with a, with a portfolio format. It's one page. Um, But I think if you were to get that, it's, it, it just deepens your, deepens a donor's relationship to the organization. If they know that, that the organization is looking at them as investors, they are being treated as though they're investors, which of course they are. I thought that was it. That was a great idea. Take some doing. Right. And they would send that along with personal notes or, you know, a personal going out with for a cup of coffee and reviewing it or something like that. Make sure you have good donor records. If you're going to do that. I don't want to, you don't want to get it wrong. So let's go to some of the Q, the questions in the Q&A box, Andrea. So uh, Andrea or Andrea is asking, are annual report or impact reports still valued? And should donor names be included? My organization debates the return on investment on creating and mailing a print version, but we do create an online version without donor names. You know, I think there can be arguments made for either way. And in part, it depends on the culture at your organization and the expectations. I would open it up to the chat box to the audience uh, who, you know, still prints their annual report. And if so, what do you think the ROI is? Um, You know, I... I, I think it, I don't know if there's data on it, honestly, if anybody has access to data, that would be great as well. But I would only print donor names if you know your donor data is accurate because you don't want to be printing anything that's inaccurate. Andrea, do you want to add anything else to that? Yeah, and the uh, related question was whether you should print donor names by giving by giving amount, by gift amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that for years and years was standard practice. And as long as you give your donors an opportunity to say that they wish to be anonymous, right, then you would still include them just 
by putting anonymous on in that giving that giving level. I I think I personally think it's helpful to do that. People want to see the company they keep, right? Which is why it's helpful. They want to see the company they're in, right? Who's in my my giving club? And uh, you know. I, I know I've certainly looked down lists of donors where I've made a contribution to see the to see the company I'm in, <laughs> and I I think I'm not alone. Um, yes, so. I think yeah. Okay, all right. Let's go to uh, Jay Pillsbury's question. We're having a debate right now about whether or not to include to mention in our Giving Tuesday email. I hope they're done, but it sounds like they're not. Giving Tuesday tomorrow, the change in the IRS rules to allow people to take a three hundred dollar deduction or just ignore the change. Um, so you know the 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 data tells us that people don't make giving decisions based on tax deductions. That's certainly not the primary motivator for giving. So to me, it's just extra clutter in your email. You know, if you want to put it small at the bottom somewhere, but. I don't know. I don't think it's an important part of the argument as to why to give. If people are giving because of a deduction or not a deduction, they're not going to be a loyal donor in the long run. I don't think it's relevant. Andrea, would you say anything else? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. I I agree with you. And there has been a fair amount of research done that people don't give because they're going to get a tax deduction. That certainly is true. And yet people like getting his tax deduction. Right? That is true. Right? That's true also. So, yeah. so, I mean, for example, this gift that I gave to the organization that I mentioned before, I gave it through my retirement fund on the minute I gave it out of my minimum required distribution, right? Where I could give money pre-tax money right to this organization so i my money would would go farther and i had i not been able to do that i would have given the gift anyway it didn't it's not why i gave the gift but i felt very clever in giving it that way i mm-hmm. gave it a certain satisfaction so i think if there's an easy way to include that in the small print i think i think it's probably worth including for those of us who sort of like to think that we're getting a twofer or something. Um, you know, again, don't 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 think that's why people are giving. It is not why they're giving. They're giving because of your mission, because they want to do good in the world. And and it's also neat to know that you, you won't pay taxes on that money. Excellent. All right. Um, okay, so people are weighing in in the chat, and Terry says, I believe it's still important to point out the tax advantages of IRA distributions. Um, so, you know, feel yeah. free to continue to read in the chat. I think that's fine. I, Lee Maxwell has asked, has raised a really interesting question because I've, and I want to raise it. It comes up, has come up in a number of ways for me recently. Um, he, he said, he or she has said, has said by enumerating total donations, and I, I think it's in response to my talking about these investment portfolio things, um, by enumerating total donations to each of the major donors, that could backfire if the donor says, whoa, I've given too much, so I'll stop now. And I think that's a good question to ask. I really do think it's a good question to ask. And the related question is when someone like McKinsey Scott gives an organization a million dollars or $5 million, and do you publicize that? Or will people think, well, if they got, you know, if they got a thousand, a million dollars from McKinsey Scott, they don't need my money anymore. What we have seen to be true again and again is that people that once people invest in something and that is and their investment is successful, right, that it accomplishes what it set out to do, they want to invest more. And when someone has given a big gift to the organization, if you can articulate why you need more money, the big gift won't deter people. It will make them feel like they're part of something big and special that was picked out. I mean, in the, the McKinsey Scott 
gifts that I've been involved, you know, seen happen, organizations I've seen happen, it drew, they drew money. People wanted to give more because she had picked that organization out. That made them more interested. So your question is a really good one and worth really worth thinking about because it might be the other way around. You have to be very good at articulating why your mission is important and the fact why you need money. Right. And why their investment has been so important in helping the, your organization, then they will they are likely to want to give more, not less. So thank you for asking that question. It's great. It's a great, great thing to think about. All right. So we've got a juicy campaign question. We haven't really been focused on to, uh, campaigns today, which is often the focus of these toolkit talks. But uh, somebody's asking anonymously, we're planning a campaign 10 years after the original campaign to build the building. Some rooms and spaces were named uh, for individuals and companies. Term limits for naming weren't included in agreements um, and stewardship has been hit or miss. So the question is, how do they, you know, what do you do about, I think there's a few questions in here, Andrea, I'm going to let you start. First, I think there's a question about you know, naming. And, you know, if you've named a, a room for 10 years and then the room's being redone or something like that, how do you rename it? How do you go back to those donors if they haven't been stewarded properly to ask for additional funds? It's challenging, right? Well, it's a big deal these days, right? For some, somehow or other, this idea of naming opportunities with term limits has become a has become a thing recently. And maybe I'm old fashioned. I'm old enough to be old fashioned. I've earned that. Um, But I have to tell you that I don't much buy it. I don't buy the idea of term limits. (laughs) I really don't. In fact, I'm more and more questioning the, the whole issue of naming of naming naming spaces for people who give money, but that's a whole different conversation. But why am I not for term limits? I think there are lots of things you can do to continue to name spaces and to recognize donors that don't terminate a gift that was given in good faith to name a space in a new building. Right. I, to me, it, it's it's awkward and bizarre that that you need know, to go back and say, well, you need to you need to give more money if you want your name to continue to be on this building. You, here's what here's what's wrong with it. People again, people I'm going to sound like a broken record. People don't give in order to have their name on your building. People give because they want your organization to be able to do more good. Now, putting in someone's name on your on the building is a form of donor stewardship. So this question is very appropriate for this call today because we're talking about donor stewardship. And in fact, those of us who have been in the capital campaign business find that with great frequency, you end up at the end of the campaign going back to people to see what room they would like their name on. That it's an afterthought, not a sell sales process, right? You don't, it often is the case that people don't really care about having their names on the room, but you go back because it was in your policies and you say, well, for this much money, you could put your name on, on this hallway or, or whatever it is, right? But it, it becomes stewardship. People are not buying rooms. They're not really buying seeing their names. Most of them would rather not have their names on the rooms, Right. But but once their names are on the room, it seems so when you go back to them and say you have to you have to you have to what do you call it? Fess not fess up again. You have to pony up. That's the word I'm looking for. You have to pony up again if you want to keep your name on that room. It turns the whole gist of the conversation away from what it really is. And what's really going on and what you should focus on is that the donors are giving to help you do a better job of serving the people you serve, whether it's by building a new building or developing programs. The naming is a a recognition process, not a sales process of look how great I am that my name is on your building. 
So if you keep that in your mind, it will shift the way you think about what to do with donors. Now, if you want to use the naming opportunities a second time, you can have two plaques on each room. You can say in 2008, the renovation of 2008 was made possible by Susan Smith, right? The renovation of 2022 was made possible by Sally Jones. Fine, keep them all, right? If if uh, if the building is being torn down and there's a new library built, new building being built, take the old plaques, mount them in a room in the new building with a sign that says, you know, we walk on the shoulders of the people who have come before us. These are the people who have who have helped build this institution. With you know, just throw those plaques away, right? <laughs> I, I think that's the key, right? It's figuring out how are you going to recognize the donors to the previous campaign? You know, I think obviously if they have not been stewarded over the last 10 years, you've got a mountain to climb and you may or may not be ready for your next campaign. So reaching out to them and saying, this is what we're thinking. You haven't been involved in a while. Some of that's our fault. We're hoping that you could, uh, you know, whatever whatever it is. We want some feedback. Would you like to get involved again? Um, hopefully they've continued to be donors. But I think acknowledging them as previous campaign donors is, is key to hopefully not reviving those relationships, but, but continuing those relationships. So let's go to Nancy's comment here, because I really so agree with what she says. She says, I recently received a recorded thank you voicemail from a national organization I support. I found it off-putting, formulaic, and impersonal. Anyone using this method of stewardship? Thoughts? So, you know, by and large, I think that's right. And I think it depends on how it's done. So I have, I'm a supporter of the ACLU. And Anthony Romero, who's the head of the ACLU, is a just a towering figure, in my opinion. Right. That's he really is. He's a remarkable human being, whether you agree with him or not. He is a remarkable human being. If I were to get a recorded message from Anthony Romero, even though I know it went out to millions of people where he talked about civil liberties and and, you know, how my gift helped make a difference. I think I would be tickled even if it had nothing personal in it, though I may be wrong. So, I mean, the, the thing is, Nancy, I, I, Andrea's pointing that out and she's acknowledging she's not one of the top hundred donors to the, right. AC, to, what was it? Yes, ACLU? Yes, yeah, the American Civil Liberties uh, Union, that's right. Yeah, so. Far from it, right. Her, her thank you is in, scale and scope connected to her gift. I mean, I I have no idea how much she's giving. It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. A hundred dollars a month, a thousand dollars a month. She's not one of their top hundred or 500 donors. And so if, if the CEO actually called her, it would be a ridiculous use of time. It would not be a good use of his time. Exactly. So to some donors, there has to be some automated thank you process and, you know, uh, a recording. Listen, we have to use technology when it makes sense to use technology. And um, so, you know, and some donors, and you're an example. So I don't know the details of the donation that you made or the organization that did it, but the reality is that some of our thank you processes and and solicitation processes are going to be more automated. And the lower the donor or the donation, um, the more automated it's going to be. So, and, so- and, and how it's done makes all the difference. Right. If it is, I mean, let me just give you a made up, totally made up example. If it, if you are a, a small level donor and you get a recorded message from the executive director that says, you know, thank you, very, thank you very much for your contribution to the X Y Z organization. We really appreciate your gift, and that's it. It would be totally hollow. But if that message says, this is so-and-so, you know, the executive director of the such-and-such organization, last year we received, 
you know, 20,233 gifts and your gift was among them. Together, you, we did such and such and you were, you know, you played a role in making that happen. I would have liked that. I would have liked that. that so it has to do with how it's written. It has to feel like it's about me, the donor, or you, the donor, not just a, not just a, what did you say, formulaic and, imp- and impersonal. You can write things that go out to everybody that do not feel formulaic and impersonal. That's, that's the art of it when you get to the broad base. <sighs> Excellent. All right. So lots of good things going on in the chat over here. So um, Karen saying my favorite thank you was from my alma mater. They sent an email that had the university choir sing and you click to the link with your name and gift. Another time they use their alma mater in various scenarios to say thank you. Uh, As a university, of course, they had the resources, but uh, the at minimal cost, these could be copied. And there's so many companies out there that make this possible. You know, the faster technology goes, the cheaper, the less expensive it gets. So I think, you know, in the chat, I'd love to see what kind of thank you video systems and technology you're using. That would be great. All right. Um, Yes, Amy says, if you want to save time and making thank you videos, you can consider bookending the videos with personal intro or ending. You make one video for all donors, but then maybe the top donors you bookend with a personalized video. And there's there's tons of companies out there that help you do that. And it's very, it's, you know, click, click, click. And you say, you know what? Thank you, Amy. This is coming your way. And then sort of the, the, the generic message. All right, good. Those are all good ideas, Amy, don't you think? Yeah, I think they're great ideas. Um, You know, here's the neat thing that we haven't talked about, Amy. The the funny thing about thanking people is that it makes you feel better. It makes the person who's doing the thanking feel better, right? That if you actually spend dedicated time every week or 20 minutes a day or an hour a week or however many times looking, looking down your donor lists and thinking about the people that you want to thank that made a difference in your organization or your work or your life, that by the time you actually get in touch with them, even if it's just a simple email or a phone call or a message or whatever it is you do, you're going to feel like a million bucks before, before that time is over. You know, I don't know if you're thinking of this particular survey, but there's a a fairly famous research study done by Martin Seligman, and he's a pretty famous, uh, I don't don't know what he is. Uh, He's the happiness guy. Yeah. So what he did was he studied, he he invited participants in whatever study he was doing to write thank you notes. And he measured their levels of happiness before and after they they wrote out their genuine heartfelt thank you. And they didn't even have to send them. That wasn't the point. The point was actually the act of thanking, you know, sort of writing it out and thinking about thanking someone. And he found that showing gratitude actually makes you happier. So to back up Andrea's point, you know, this is this is important stuff. All right. So some companies that make personalized videos, Amy's saying Vidyard, um, Grat Vid and uh, Blackbaud makes some. Uh, thank you is another one. There's lots of companies now doing these thank you videos that help you do them quickly and effectively and efficiently. So thank you for sharing those, Amy. Yes. Good kinds. Also, Susie. Yeah. Good kinds. Uh, yeah. There are many organizations and the technology makes it so, so easy. Right. Oh, here, yeah. Yolanda has, this is this is nifty. One stewardship call she received uh, was from one of the members of the football team who called, called her for thanking, uh, for supporting the team by being a season ticket holder. Yeah, can you imagine getting a call from the football player? That's cool. Right? You know what? That That is exactly how and when and why you should use your 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 clients i mean if it's appropriate obviously in this case it is you know if if somebody is a season ticket holder or supporting the athletics department then having a student athlete call is a perfectly not only appropriate but so thoughtful and specific 
way to thank your donors. So think about how can you use your, your clients, your theme, your, your mission um, in your thank yous. Okay, Andrea, I think we have provided lots of great ideas for today. I want to encourage anybody who's thinking about a capital campaign in 2022 to start planning immediately. And that involves thanking and stewarding some of your biggest donors. If you would like to talk to us specifically about your campaign or any campaign questions you have, of course, we would love to talk to you. So I want to encourage you to visit the Capital Campaign Toolkit website, which is just capitalcampaigntoolkit.com and sign up for a free strategy session. And we will brainstorm some ideas with you personally and answer any of your campaign questions. So, all right, on that note, I think let's have everybody in the chat box just say what you're grateful for this week. Why don't we do a gratitude exercise as we start to close out? So, so what did you give thanks for this week at Thanksgiving? What was, I don't know, what else, Andrea? Let's hear it in the chat box. What, do, what did you give give thanks for this this week, Amy? I know you had a full Thanksgiving week. We did. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are saying it. It really was togetherness after a whole year of not being with family. Um, everybody was in the room for the first time together. So that was, you know, it made it more special. We were, we were thinking back on last year, nobody was vaccinated. It was, nobody did Thanksgiving together, not in my family anyways. So it was, it was really special to have everybody live and in person. So what about you? I was I was grateful to see my my grandchildren, whom two of my grandchildren, whom I don't get to see very often. That was that was just a treat to see how how utterly sweet they are, and and just to just to watch them play, to watch how the creative spirit at work, and to see families come together. I just I felt I feel very fortunate these days. I feel fortunate to have a a husband of so many years and to have a, a healthy and good place to live. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. Excellent. Um, so right. Paul right. Peter so suggested I speak with you. Uh, Paul, the thing for you to do is to get in touch with me. That's, that's Nancy. And, Nancy. Paul. Who is that? Paul, yes. Oh, Paula suggested. That's what it is. Nancy, email me, Andrea at CapitalCampaignToolkit.com. That's the yes. best way to do it. Yep. You got to send us an email, reach out, go to the Capital Campaign Toolkit website. You'll find our email there, but it's just Andrea at CapitalCampaignToolkit.com or Amy at CapitalCampaignToolkit.com. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Special guest is today. We're going to be talking about equity, diversity, equity, and inclusion with a very special guest, Vule, next Monday. So we hope you'll join us. And if we're so excited by that, Amy. Yeah, so invite your friends and your colleagues to join, send them the link. It's going to be, he's a really, really interesting, interesting guy. He writes really well. He has thought really deeply on that subject. It's going to be wonderful, fun, fun and interesting to have him. Just go to Vule, V-U-L-E. No, just go to toolkitdocs.com and you will find his information and you will be able to sign up if there are others at your organization who want to join us for that call, they need to register. Um, So just toolkitdocs.com and you will be able to register for Vule's talk next week. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to CapitalCampaignToolkit.com and please like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform.